0: Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net.
1: In my end is my beginning. Houses rise and fall, they crumble and they're restored. Or in their place, there could be an empty, empty open field old stone to new building, old timbers to new fire, old fires to new ashes and ashes to earth. There is a time for living and generation, and there is a time when the wind must shake. In my end is my beginning. Now the light falls over this open field, leaving a deep lane shuttered by branches, and it is cold in the afternoon. And in that warm haze of sultry light, it's absorbed and not reflected off the gray stones. That's one way of putting it. not very satisfactory. This roundabout way of studying poetry, leaving us still with this intolerable wrestle of words and meaning. It's not the poetry. It's just that it's not what we expected. What is the use of looking into our future with our hopes and our dreams? We hope for serenity and peace. We hope for the wisdom of ages. But had the elders, with their quiet voices, had they deceived us and themselves, leaving us only with a receipt for deceit? Our serenity could be deliberate indifference. Our wisdom could just be knowledge of dead secrets, useless when peering into the dark or turning away from. It seems that there's only limited value in the knowledge we get from experience, So do not let me hear the wisdom of old men, but rather let me hear of their folly, their fear, their frenzy, their fear of fears, of possession, of belonging to another or to others or to God. The only wisdom we can hope to acquire is the wisdom of humble surrender. So I said to my soul, wait without hope. It would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love. Wait without thought. You are not ready. Let me say it again. In order to possess what you do not have, you must go by the way of depossession. And the very thing that you do not know is the only thing you know. As we grow older, the world becomes stranger, the patterns more complicated. But life is not made up of these isolated, intense moments with the before and after. Lifetime is burning in every moment. So we must be still and keep moving for further union and a deeper communion. In my end is my beginning. We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know that place for the first time.
2: Lovely. Thank you, Chris. We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring I love that is to arrive where we started they call it second naivete Jesus called it becoming a little child to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time it's been said in a lot of ways A lot of cliched ways and you probably could add to my list here but it's been said nothing ever stays the same the only constant in life is the inconstancy of life the only constant in life is that everything changes everything changes goes the poetry the song the cliche because life is linear Life tracks, life is progressive, life is successive. Life is a series of moments replacing one another. Life is linear. Life is what some call trapeze in nature. I like that vision. Life is letting go and taking hold. Letting go and taking hold. Life is always about the business of letting go and taking hold. Life is past, present, and future. Life is seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. Remember those days when months seemed like they last forever? Remember when you were on that side of the hill that hill that you're either over or under. Remember on one side of the hill how long it seemed before the end of the school year. How long till you made it to youth group age. How long before graduation. How long before you get out of school. How long before you find that first job. How long before you get married, unless you're from Arkansas. How long... (laughs) This month, is birthday month for both of us, Nancy will be turning 36, I will be turning 46, right? Is that right? Right. <laughs> I have always said, now, 46 is great. A lot of you would like to have 46 back, wouldn't you? Yeah, right now. So I'm not whining, but I will tell you this, I have never been bothered by a birthday, but this one's kind of tweaking me a little bit, Scott, just a little bit. Because my brain works, I'm a very left brain guy, I have to work hard, it's a therapeutic process for me to get over into my right brain, it just is. And Nancy lives with two of us, Stan Jr. is the same way, everything is logic and exactitude and wordsmithing. And I'm a mathematical kind of guy, and 46 has been eating at me. Because 46 now puts me closer to 70 than 20. I know it's crazy thinking and there's medicine for it and I'm not on it, but just follow the logic here, Dave. I'm closer to 70 than I am 20. Nothing wrong with 70 except that 20 feels like yesterday. And if 20 feels as close as it feels in my mind, and 70 is actually closer than that, Again, 20 is not the greatest and 70 is not the worst. That's not the point. The point is just the brevity. Life is a vapor. And all of a sudden, it's not years that seem interminable. Uh, Nothing seems interminable, and the the decades just seem to roll. And so in me is 20, because life is not, as I often say, it's not, um, what's the fancy word, calendric. It's not like following a calendar. Your life is not tearing a page off and throwing a day away like you do with a calendar. No, no, no. We're like trees. Inside of us is every year that we've lived. I'm 46 this month. I'm also 42 and 37 and 28 and 19 and 4. I think more the wisdom of Jesus there with that idea of except you become as a child. I think psychotherapy, psychiatry, psychology, this this relatively new discipline science of the last 150 years is figuring out that there's a whole lot of people inside of us. Sitting around the table of my life is a 46-year-old Stan, a 45-year-old Stan, a 44-year-old Stan, an 8-year-old Stan, and a 4-year-old Stan. And often when we're dealing with one another, we give one another our 13-year-old or our 4-year-old I mean, go back and read Eric Erickson, study Eric Erickson. It'll help you in your business. You will engage people who are standing there in a 53-year-old body, but you're dealing with their 13-year-old. For whatever reason, their survival mechanism kicks in. Why? Because we're like a tree. Those rings are inside of us. 20's inside of me, but 70's inside of me, though I haven't lived it. For in my end is my beginning, and in my beginning is my end. Life is linear. It's change, it's metamorphosis, it's transition, it's development, it's evolution, it's progress, it's passage, it's movement. Philip Yancey told us last week, which was a thrill for me, if it wasn't for anybody else, to have one of my heroes here was a thrill for me. And he told us that life is spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And I thought he painted that picture marvelously. Life is transitional. Life is morning, noon, and night. Night, uh, life is birth, infancy, toddler, childhood, adolescence, tweeners, teens, young adults, adults, geriatrics, and death. Life is caterpillar, larva, pupa, and butterfly. And I was reminded this week as I was in uh, a funeral service in Father Breen, who was the priest for years and years, decades at St. Edwards. Many of you know Father Breen. He's a great one in this town. He's my, As 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 a minister, he's always been my favorite officiant at funerals because Father Breen, and this is especially tough within the Catholic tradition, but he leaves all of the stuff that we do and he just gets down and he's with the people. And he reminded us, Two days ago, at the funerals that I was with with him, as I, I just sat back and in, in a heartbreaking time, enjoyed the presence of God through this old priest. He's retired now, but he reminded us of down in the catacombs, the, the tombs underneath Rome, where the first saints were the first saints that were martyred in Rome, were many of them buried. On each of the tombs is an insignia. Often it's an animal, um, a fish, multiple insignias, but one of the most common in late first century Christianity was the butterfly. The butterfly was the first representation, visible representation that we had of the resurrection. Caterpillar, larva, pupa, butterfly. Preschool, elementary, middle school, high school, college, graduate school, career. That's life, it's always moving, it's, it's single looking, courting, engaging, marrying, succeeding, failing, divorcing, marrying for some again, for others not. Life is made up of of transitions. Life is made up of passages. And transitions are made up of essentially three overarching elements. Transitions in life, all of our transitions, whether it's the simplicity of a child moving from preschool to kindergarten or turning off the irrigation systems out here and winterizing them for winter. Or as some of our loved ones, April Hasna, one of the young ladies that teaches in our second and third grade class, found her 46-year-old sister. She found her 46-year-old sister dead just a few days ago, right? I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday, she found her. 46. Transitions in life <clears throat> are about these three phases, endings, endings, and, and I, I showed you the trapeze a while ago, the trapeze nature of life, it's, you know, I, I said letting go and taking hold, well that sounds like two phases, but, but really it's not, because there's something between letting go and taking hold. It's a a very poor trapeze artist who holds on until they grab hold of the other swing, right? There's no thrill in holding on. The the whole point of the trapeze is they let go, and when they let go, they're soaring through the air with the greatest of ease. There's, There's the endings, but there's also that threshold time. It's all through scripture. You remember Simon Peter when the Lord came walking on the water, and the Lord said, get out of the boat. Now, here's me, my left brain, I would have said, I'll get out of the boat. I would have held on to the side of the boat, stuck my toe down there in the water to see if surface tension would have held me, right? I intuit, and I bet you do too, that as long as he was holding on to the side of the boat, the water wouldn't hold him. There's that awkward phase in all of our lives. I look around this room, and I've seen you guys do it, that... in in multiple ways, some simple and slight, some almost wrecking your soul. But that deal that you have to make in this faith proposition of letting go of what is certain and moving into that no man's land, William Bridges. If you wanna read a book on transitions, read William Bridges on transitions. He's written three or four, he's the scholar of scholars on transitions. His last book, The Way of Transition, is his best because he wrote it after he lost his wife of 37 years. She was 56. He lost her to cancer. And now all of a sudden, all of that academic stuff was just informed with his humanity. I read it last night. I was reading it. That's what happened last night. I was reading it, and Nancy thought I was already asleep, and I slipped in on her. And I got so moved by it, I went in just to tell her I loved her again, and I scared her and made her mad. No. Now you have to explain why we don't sleep in the same bed on Saturday night. Oh, Saturday night. Yeah, I have to sleep in because I got up at 2 o'clock this morning. So she doesn't like to get woke up. And I slept three hours last night. But man, I, was, I was, I, that book was so moving. I was having a romantic moment. I went in. I was just about to reach over, and she screamed and almost hit me. And I was like, well, kill that moment. So much for trying. Welcome to marriage, huh? But the way of transition the way of transition, thresholds, neutral zones, he calls them. Somewhere between letting go and taking hold, somewhere between the boat and the water, neutral zones. Marilyn Ferguson calls those zones moments like when Linus has his security blanket in the dryer and there's nothing to hold on to. When the security blankets of life are gone to the cleaning. Endings and thresholds, and then there is a taking hold. This Lenten season, we're gonna get there. The taking hold for us is resurrection. There's a a big day coming in the next few weeks. The taking hold. It's for that reason that Paul, now listen to this. Here's the point, this is kind of the track we're gonna take through the Lenten season. Paul said the good news, this is 1 Corinthians 15, he said the good news of God, we call it the gospel. Scott, the good news. Now you would have expected him to say the good news is God came down lived live a human life. Nativity, manger, walked on water, raised people from the dead. The good news is that God was born into this world. You would have expected him to say the good news was that God lived a human life. And and certainly, it sounds like good news, that he rose again from the dead. But Paul expressly says, Gene, he expressly said, he said, the good news that I delivered to you, J.D., he said, is that Christ died. He didn't say the good news of God is the life and the resurrection, and the bad news of God is the death and the burial. He said, the good news and the great wisdom of God, and this is important for us this Lenten season, the good news is that first he said Christ died. The good news is that Christ was buried. And certainly the good news is that he rose again on the third day. Friday crucifixions, endings, closing." finishes. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. Saturday, oh, that day that we don't even know what to do with liturgically. In the church, it's the weakest of Holy Week. We don't know what to do, Randy, on Saturday. What do we do? Well, it's a, it's a day of disorientation. It's the day when it seems that all hope is gone, it's a day of resignation, it's a day, at best it could have been a day of vigil waiting on the next day, the new beginning, but it wasn't. Saturday was the day that they padded their way, Richard, back to their nets that they had left all those years before. Saturday was the day when they looked at one another and said, we hitched our wagon to the wrong team. We wasted two, three years of our life on a pipe dream And the Bible said they went back to their old employers and said is that job still here for us thresholds somewhere between the letting go and the taking hold and where is God where is Jesus we spend a lot of time in the Christian church picturing Jesus on the cross and we spend a lot of time in the Christian church picturing Jesus coming out of an open tomb We don't spend a lot of time reflecting on a body lying in state in repose. And yet Paul said the good news is that he was buried. That he lay still and dormant. That he lay implacable, immovable. Transitions happen in our life in three phases. We come to endings both glorious and inglorious. We move through times when our security blanket is in the dryer, when we've let go of the side of the boat and the water's still not holding us. Threshold spaces, no man's land, neutral ground, liminal space, the mystics called it, and then we move through to that final place of taking hold. New beginnings, we love new beginnings, resurrections. But the beauty is God on Friday entered into our death. On Saturday he entered into our disorientation. On Sunday he entered into our greatest hope and joy. And all three of those days should inform our Christianity. All three of those days should inform our spirituality. So let me just remind you what Lent is not. Lent is not 40 days of thinking about the resurrection. Lent is not 40 days of biding our time, chomping at the bit, just getting by until we can celebrate an open tomb. Lent is 40 days of reminding ourselves that there are more days than a resurrective day. There are days that share significant, valuable lessons with us about life other than the day of resurrection. Now, it's obvious that coming up April 20th, we're going to have all the chairs are going to be unstacked and all the spots are going to be filled in. It's a great day. And that's not because all the carnal people come on Easter. That's not true. It's because all of you, some of you weren't here last week, some of you won't be here next week. Busy schedules, but we most always get our schedules together for Easter and all the church gets here. and and we're gonna celebrate and the music will be big and we'll be off the floor and introspection will be gone and it's time to party in Jesus' name. I say that in the most sacred way because he is alive forevermore and he fills us through and through. But Lent is a special season. Lent is not the six weeks, the seven weeks that lead up to that, preparing for that thinking only of resurrection. No no Easter tide are the seven Sundays that follow Easter. There is a tidal wave called Easter, and Easter's too big to contain in one service. So for the next six or seven weeks, we will be reflecting with the church of God everywhere on the impact of the resurrection on our life. All the ways resurrection and the new beginning of Christ impacts us. And then we'll come to the day of Pentecost when the fire fell, and we will celebrate all the fullness of God that indwells us even now bodily. But it reminds us, that there was more than one important day. There were three. Lent reminds us that there's good news to be found on Friday and Saturday as well as Sunday. And Lent reminds us that there are lessons to be learned from his death and burial as well as his resurrection. Lent informs a process that most of us are not very good at. Lent informs a process that I have never been very good at. Lent informs a process called letting go. Lent informs the process of way closing. Paul gave us a quintessential text in Philippians 3.10 concerning Lent when he said, oh that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. Well who doesn't wanna know him there? Who doesn't want to take hold of new life and new beginnings and new phases and new jobs and new friendships? Oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. But then he stopped and he said, and I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable even unto his death. Paul knew that in Christ, God not only taught us how to begin and to begin again, but God taught us in Christ as we march with him toward the cross, as he set his face toward Jerusalem, as he didn't hasten so quickly past those moments, as he knelt down at the feet of Judas, Dale, and he washed between his toes, he took time to end well. He looked at his disciples on the way to the cross and said, do this for one another. He lifted his voice on the way to a resurrection and said, Father, I have something to talk about before that day. Would you make these followers of mine one? Paul said, I want to know him in resurrection, but to know him fully is to know him in the Fridays and Saturdays of life. And God only knows how we need this help to learn the art of sacred endings, the art of redemptive finishes, the holiness, the humanness of closing chapters in our life with grace and purpose, which I haven't always done, and you haven't always done, to walk away with some sense of way closing, and yet knowing that if there is any hope of way opening whatever that Sunday experience is, surely it's going to be informed by the character of our Fridays and Saturdays. Surely, we can't just steward the resurrective moments and the joy moments. Surely, we've got to find a way to inform those places that need the grace and mercy and presence of God most of all in our life. Of course, he's there in the resurrective moments. How couldn't he be, Martin? But can I find a way, Bill, to bring him into the Fridays and Saturdays of my life that, frankly, I just try to get past? Mark, I just try to bite the bullet, close my eyes, pull the covers over my head, and get done. If it's dying, let it die and get on. And yet, Lenten, the Linton season says, whoa, 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 John, whoa. Before you hasten too fast to that part of the gospel, I want you to remember there's another part of the gospel. It was good news that he died. It was good news that he was buried. There is holiness and righteousness, humanity and spirituality to be found in the way we shut chapters of our life down, in the way that we pack up an office that we never thought we would leave, in a way that we walk out of a courtroom we never thought we would be in, in a way we speak to a brother that we never want to see again. Christianity is not just about the Sundays in our life. Christianity is not just about resurrection. Christianity is about Fridays and Saturdays, endings and burials, neutral zones, no man's land. Christianity is between the letting go and the taking hold. And we need this help. In this series, we're going to take a week. We're going to take a week. Let's see, we've got Easter coming up, and before that, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday and the next four Sundays. We're gonna look at five different areas of our life that, frankly, we need a lot of help learning how to close, learning how to finish, learning how to graciously with dignity and decency in the spirit of Christ conclude. We're gonna talk about relationships. We're gonna talk about careers. We're gonna talk about hopes and dreams and expectations we had for life. We're gonna talk about physical health. And we're gonna talk about ideas, ideologies, theology. Five very practical places in our life where endings are a huge part of our experience. We go through countless of them, and they're not all huge, some of them are preschool graduations, playground breakups, anybody remember your playground breakups? I still remember the note that Cliff Morgan brought me from Cassandra Asbel. You remember those notes for if you want to go with me, check here? She sent me a note, she got confused. Third grade she sent a note through Cliff Morgan that said, I'm breaking up with you, check here. Go check yourself. (laughs) I didn't think that all the way through before I said that. (laughs) Playground breakups. huh? Here we go. Let's get practical. Putting away your ball glove for the last time. You say, well, that's silly. Well, for those of you that athletics was not a part of your life I I beg your indulgence but I was out at Nina's practice last night and over on the other field there was a ruckus I didn't go over but Mike from afar I saw two what looked like two dads making fools of themselves and I thought dear Lord it's March I looked over there I thought fellas Amy, I I literally thought this is spring training of the six-, seven-, and eight-year-old girls' softball league. At least hold the fight for the the end-of-the-season championship run. But in a preseason scrimmage, two dads, Dave, hollering and making fools of themselves, and I I don't know for sure, but I know enough about the dynamic of that because I got some of that inside of me to know that a lot of that comes from dads who never close that part of their life down well. I love Metro League softball, as long as it's for exercise and fun. But when you get out there, and guys start fighting and screaming, I'm talking about the church league, not the industrial league, fighting and screaming, hollering at one another, they come out there and they got brand new bat and gloves, $300 bat, brand new glove, all oiled up. They got sunglasses, I mean, they got the straight bill, you know, they're 44, big old pop belly, and they got the glass, man, they're decked out, got it all, got the new spikes on, they it looks like they're walking on high heels, they, they, got the, they got their pants on, and you know, those tight britches, and you're like, dude, they make those in medium too, come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and white pants. I'm like, hey, let's get some sliding pads under those jokers, please. Because what happened, and it's not the whole story, but you gotta know the reason a lot of us push those little boys and girls so hard is because our dream ended a little early, Mike. Our, what we wanted out alive got set down early. My dad did that to us. I get it. I, I get it. I'm named Stan because his hero was Stan Musial. He was the poor kid off the boot hill of Missouri that laid beside the radio and listened to Harry Carey call the cardinal game, and Stan the man was his hero. And my dad, a hungry kid, he wadded up metal, this, no joke, he waddled up, wadded up metal cans and made the ball that he played with and hit it with a broomstick that's no joke poor and then his daddy all they knew late 1950s his daddy got a tumor that's what they called it nobody paid three hundred dollars for him to go play ball nobody there was no parent saying, get outside, quit watching television. It was the only life that those boys knew, sandlot ball, and he dreamed of going to the major leagues. And he probably wasn't good enough, but he dreamed. And it was the only dream worth dreaming for that kid. And one day, the tumor got his daddy, and my dad went out underneath a tree and sat down and wept. And he walked in the house, and his mama said, Stevie, you're gonna have to go to work. He turned 16, Everett, and as the spring baseball season rolled around, he forgot, and he had his glove, and he headed down to the field, and he was down there on the field throwing that ball, and the principal came down and said, Steve, have you forgot something? And he had signed up, believe it or not, 16-year-olds could drive buses in those days. And my dad had signed up to drive the school bus. But he had forgotten, Clyde, that he had to put the ball glove up. That 16-year-old kid within six years was my dad. It's no wonder that 10 years after having to leave it all and drive a school bus, It's no wonder, Mark, that he pushed me hard and said, why are you sitting in here What I get where it comes from. Because those kinds of closings have to be healed. And the good news of the Lenten season is we're not just going to extract from the story this deal about the resurrection and new life. There's another piece to the story. And that piece is that there is grace for closings. There is grace for relationships that have broken beyond repair. There are gracious ways to shut down chapters in our life. We don't have to walk away and act like the only thing that God and church and spirituality can handle is the clean stuff and the open tombs. No, no, no. He's good for whipping posts and betrayals. His grace informs what it feels like to be sold by your closest friend for 30 pieces of silver. He has a lesson about how to treat somebody who's betrayed you. He takes off his outer robe and he washes feet. The Lenten journey is not just about how to marry. I hope your mind can contain it. The Lenten journey is about how to do our divorces and our heartbreaks and our betrayals. The Lenten journey is to remind us that before we skip up to the resurrection and say, I love this deal, there's a God way back here who endured the cross, despised the shame, and lay in a disoriented repose for all in a tomb one Saturday. Every day is a gift. The Lenten journey tells us, and I have spent my life efforting to get out of Fridays and Saturdays. I have even misstewarded and botched some holy Fridays, J.D., because I didn't know how, I didn't know how holy they were. I didn't know how holy those uncomfortable broken endings were and so I brought no holiness and no resolve to them the Lenten journey is about realizing that all of life is a gift on days when way opens that's gift on days when way closes that's gift even the Sun didn't want that day because when God cried through a human mouth it's finished. The sky blinked and the sun went black. And yet God said, no, no, no. There's still nine 60-minute hours left in this day and we will have them because they are gift. There was no sun moving forward or backward on that Saturday. There was no sense of God saying, this doesn't fit in the church's liturgy or the liturgy of your life. There was no sense of that. On that Saturday, God said, we're going to live every second. We're going to live every minute. We are going to live in this threshold liminal space. And so, I don't know that I've ever talked about this, but I'll I'll close with this little anecdote. We're going to walk through the next several weeks a positive view of closings and endings, how to let go of vocations, dreams, relationships, physical health. Chris Halicki's going to preach to us or speak to us or love to us that day about physical health. Who better to talk about the walk of letting go of a physical body that begins the process of betraying you as hers in extreme ways? Ours and less extreme. I mentioned, I mentioned the book *Transitions* and William Bridges, and I mentioned the last book that he wrote, uh, *The Way of Transition*. I don't want to read something that's beautiful to me. It's about Friday and Saturday. It's about endings and thresholds. His wife of 37 years that he met and married at 19, she was a psychotherapist. At 56 years old, she was still in the game, an academic, preparing to be a Jungian therapist. After she died, and there's nothing morose about this. This is Friday, Saturday. This is the Lenten journey. But after she died, and, well, I'll say more about it later, but she gave him, before she died, her journal. And this is what he read. In one of Mondi's updates, she wrote that a friend had said to her, illness and death are not an error. They are one's curriculum. That metaphor, she added, made simply trying to destroy the cancer cells wrong. Oh, don't mistake, she still tried to beat the cancer. But with that thought, that this is not an error, it is your curriculum, she realized that there was more to this process than simply trying not to die. And she said, what I want to do with the next months or years of my life, however long I have, is to learn from them. I do not want these months, days, or years to be the days when I was dying, I want them to be the days when I was living. I am curious. I'm going to stay in the game. I'm not so curious about physical suffering, but I know that's part of the curriculum too. At present, it just scares the you know what out of me. I'm most curious about what dying is all about, and I'm really curious if I'll be able to keep my eyes and heart open for whatever comes. Before I sign off, dear one, I want to tell you a quote I heard from Elizabeth Howells, a young Ian therapist friend of mine. These words are hopeful, they are comforting, and they are disturbing to me. God sends the wound, God is the wound, God is wounded, God heals the wound. Through those long, long months as we waited for reports to clarify dark places on x-rays and ambiguous rises in test numbers, Mandy kept her eyes and ears open, and I can say now she kept her heart open as well. We had trouble in our marriage, much trouble. Just before she was stricken with cancer, she had told me that she was going to have to get her needs met otherwise, I simply did not have the capacity we had the same troubles others have. And yet I can tell you, in those last two years of her heart fully open, she opened mine. In those last two years of not dying but living, she brought me to the place of marriage that I never thought I could go. Yes, she opened her heart, and I did not spend two years with her dying, I spent two years with her living and learning, she stayed in the game. Later I found great comfort in that fact, for if she could do that as her whole life unraveled, how much more could I do it in the midst of my own much more modest losses? Oh, brothers and sisters, April twentieth is gonna be big and it's gonna be good, but don't miss the holiness of the journey to that open tomb. God has good information for us. God has strength of spirit to open our hearts and eyes, to open our faith and soul to learning how to do way, closing well. Can you say amen? Amen. Melissa, come and finish out. Tell them we have an exercise that we want you guys to take part in over the next few weeks.
0: Let me hold that up for you. Oh, there we are. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Steve Lindstrom, where Waves are Dave. Steve, and I think Ben was there. Yes, they yes. went out to, the, um, to do a, a service with some of our homeless people up in Nashville. And during that service, um, some of the men, right, built this and then gifted it to us some of the at the end. Guys. Some of the homeless guys. did built this cross and then gifted it to them that night and told them to bring it back to the church. So we loved that. We thought that was beautiful. And in light of that and in light of this Linton series and um, as we are recognizing our endings and how we have healthy endings and ending well, we wanted to do a community um, art project called the Cross Project. And so basically we are inviting all of you to make or color or build a cross um, in any art form you want to and to bring it in Um, as soon as you're finished, up through Palm Sunday. Um, We think that we'll be able to discover the talents that we have in this church that we don't know about. We'll get a better view of what's important to you and your faith. Um, We'll get a better sense for the deeply rooted theology and faith that all of us share. And so we want you to design a cross, build it, form it, color it, draw it. It's just, it's very free form. A gal said in first service, can I make a cross from pictures? And I said, yes, you can do. It's it's very free and open. Um, so then we need you to deliver it here. We're going to present them in the sanctuary as you bring them in and hopefully do something very special with all of the crosses um, by Palm Sunday. Now, when you do this, you are gifting it to us. You will not get it back because not only will we display them through the end of Easter, we're going to hopefully display them um, in a unique way forever. So But as you bring them, I would also ask that you would bring in maybe an index size card um, that just talks about the inspiration, your process, um, why this is meaningful to you, what this means to you, because obviously it can include a cross that is the culmination of your faith, or it can be representative of an ending that you've recently faced or something that you're facing right now. Basically, we want to see your faith in this form. So we're excited about it. We've never done anything like this before. I hope to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So bring it in. We're excited. Anything else? We had a great conversation, <laughs> Nancy saying, "Not too big. <laughs> That's probably as big as it needs to be. That's a good call. Yeah, but any size that that size or smaller. So you can start bringing it in whenever you are ready, and bring in your paragraph as well."
2: So, before we go, as I sat down at the end of the first service, and that talking about way closing and bringing holiness and God's grace to our endings. I talked about relationships and the different things just like I did in this one just in surface. I sat down picked up my phone because I was reading from my Kindle the the book uh, The Bridges Quote and I swiped I didn't do it even purposely I swiped and my Facebook came up and one of my friends that I've been semi estranged from really the last four years old high school buddy that we were friends forever and ever and got a little crossways here all back. I pulled up and he said, Stan, hope you're well. It's been a while. I would love to catch up sometime. I would love to get things right. And I thought, now that's probably coincidence and probably not. But right there at the end of the service to have my old buddy call me and say, and I thought Lord, and I look back and I thought, oh, I could have done that ending a whole lot better. Thank God for Lenten journeys and opportunities to reflect on other parts of our life that maybe we don't like so much. But it's going to be a good season, okay, you guys? And here's the second thing I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to email you tomorrow, and I'm going to tell you next Sunday we're talking about way closing and how to do well this particular kind of ending. I think we'll do relationships next week and I would love for you to be thinking about it all week and, and let's come together next Sunday and it'll be a really wonderful time. And practically, Nance, you've been collecting some stuff for Grace Over, you had a lot of response. If you responded to Nancy in the last few days, you're gonna be out at the welcome station, you'll be right here if you responded. We got some families in need and Grace Over is helping them, so do that at the end. All right, let's stand together and Pray, Father, thank you for this good day. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. Thank you, Lord, for your death and your burial and your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for solidarity in our suffering. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us full humanity how to truly live the life of abundance that you intended, even in moments of dark transition and pain. We lift together April Hasna, her family, her mother, as they've lost a 46-year-old daughter and sister. We lift together Lucy Weldon and Lucy Pinson as they hold their daddy and husband. John Weldon has gone home with hospice care We've stood beside in vigil, Lord. Thank you for the grace that you're pouring in as they bring him down the homestretch to your arms. We lift up all those that are sick, those that are hurting in our church. Oh, Lord, may these moments not be wasted. May we be a people who are ever-living. Take us on this Lenten journey, sweet Christ. Make us deeper richer, fuller Christians and followers of you. We pray all of this in God's name. And God's people said it good and hearty.
0: Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you.